Bruce? As Bruce mentioned, um, next week is Easter, and it kind of sneaks up on us, doesn't it? It's not like Christmas, where the whole world is helping us to prepare. Easter kind of comes quietly, and then all of a sudden it's on top of us, and then it's gone. It's over. Um, so this week, what we want to do is just begin to pre- prepare our hearts for Easter, so that this week... Hopefully, this will be the beginning of a week where we can just prepare our hearts to come here on Friday to remember that Jesus died on the cross, taking our sins to the grave, and then to return back next Sunday and to celebrate His bodily resurrection from the dead, His glorification, His ascension up into heaven, and then looking forward to the reality that He will return for us. Bruce mentioned Easter Sunday, 1984. Uh, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking a lot about my life a year ago from from now. And as those of you who have been uh, here for, for that period of time, you'll know that this time last year was a very, very difficult season of life for me, for Angie, for our family. Um, it was the time when I was in the deepest despair of my life. If there was ever a time in my life where I wondered if God had forsaken me, it was it was a year ago. And I shared this with you not quite a year ago, but early in April. And, and that was a difficult season to be a pastor, obviously. You have to get into the pulpit and share something from the Bible to everyone. And yet I was struggling myself to, to wonder, where was God? Why was, why was He so far away from me? Why was He allowing me and us to go through the things that we were going through? Why were we feeling the way that we were? Why had He forsaken us? Have you ever felt that way? It's one of those things we don't like to admit to ourselves because we're Christians, right? We're, we're, we come, we worship, we sing, we put on the mask, we, we put on the clothes, and we act. And yet, the more that I pastor and the more that I get to know people, and I guess maybe the older I get, hopefully the wiser I get, the more I realize that life's just hard. Life is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And my life is not really that hard. And maybe you felt that too, that life's just hard. It's harder than you thought it was going to be. And, and maybe you're not in a hard season right now. There's some of you who are saying, well, I, I feel pretty good right now, and I hope that that's you and that's great. But maybe there are some of you out there right now who are saying, I am, I am in a pit. I am in despair. I feel forsaken. God seems far away. I'm not even sure that He exists. Maybe that's you then now is the time for you to lay that bare before God. It's, to, it's an opportunity for you to say, I feel forsaken. And what I want us to look at today is that Jesus felt forsaken on the cross. And I hope that this week as we prepare for Easter that we will, we will connect with Jesus in His forsakenness as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It sounds sort of like it doesn't go together, but it does. And the goal today is to see that. Let's pray. Lord, You 
you are good, you are all-knowing, you are all-powerful, and yet you sometimes allow us to walk at a distance. Uh, I pray for this congregation, anyone especially who feels forsaken. And Lord, those who do not feel forsaken right now, I thank You and I praise You for that. But I I ask that Your Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance a time in their life when they felt totally abandoned by You. Completely cast off by You. Totally forgotten by You. Would You minister to them? Maybe healing old wounds. Lord, prepare our hearts for Easter. I pray that Your Spirit would be upon me. Speak through me. In spite of me. I pray that You would glorify Yourself that You would comfort this congregation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today is Palm Sunday. Churches all over the world are celebrating the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. That's what we call it. And so we remember that Jesus entered into Jerusalem so many years ago on a donkey. And all of this was to fulfill the prophecies of Zechariah, which talked about the Messiah coming to Israel on a donkey. And, and people had eyes to see it. They saw what was happening. They knew Christ's reputation. And they saw Him coming in on a donkey, basically saying to the world that was gathered there, I am the King. I am the Messiah. And people reveled in that. They were ready for their Messiah to take charge. They were ready for their Messiah to overthrow Rome. They were ready for Israel to become a kingdom again. They were ready to take over the world. Israel's King was coming to her. But they totally misunderstood that within one week, this king would be forsaken and murdered on a cross. Humanity's Messiah was drawing near to to heap upon Himself the sin of the world, to receive the wrath of God, the just punishment for the sin of humanity, to die and be forsaken to taste hell in all of its fullness because of what we had done. So less than a week after Palm Sunday, there was Jesus. He hung on a cross much like this. And the blood and the sweat was just dripping off of Him. Before before He took this heavy cross up the mountain outside of the city, he was flogged half to death, exposing his ribcage and his back. We're told that he couldn't even make it to the top of the hill on his own because he had lost so much blood. And then he was pinned to the wood of the cross like a butterfly in a shadow box. Metal stakes were driven through his wrist bones. 
and then through his ankle bones. And that's all that hood hit, that's all that held him suspended above the ground as he hung there. All of his weight hanging on his wrists and his ankles. Can you imagine the pain? And as he hung there, as he drew more and more weak, he couldn't breathe. And so even though it hurt, it hurt like hell. Literally. He would raise himself up to take a gra- a, a, just a grasp of that air and he would sink down again. And he did that for hours. And that wasn't even the worst of it. He carried in his body the sin of the world. Though he had done no wrong, he had never sinned, he had never rebelled against God, he had kept the law, He became the full embodiment of all God's curses. Every single curse listed in the Bible fell on Him in that moment. The weight of hell descended upon Him. Satan danced around Him. Mocking Him. Jeering Him. And worst of all, as if none of this was bad enough, God the Father, the one with whom Jesus had an eternally perfect, intimate relationship, with no rupture, no conflict, no disagreement at any time in in all of the eternal past, the Father Himself forsook Jesus on the cross. He, He... put our sins on Him. He poured out His wrath. He put the curses of of all the Bible on Him. And then He turned His back. Jesus hung, suspended, dying on the tree. The Creator, that's Jesus, who created with the Father and the Spirit, Jesus, the Creator who had taken on the flesh of His creation, was being murdered by the creatures He came to save. Would you open your Bibles to Matthew 27? There was a prisoner named Barabbas who was a known murderer. There's no question about that. He's guilty as charged. Everyone knew it. He was supposed to be crucified. But the chief priests brought Jesus to Pontius Pilate, who was the governor in that part of the world. They said, we would like you to crucify this one. We find him guilty of blasphemy. He claims to be the God. He claims to be the Son of God. He claims to be the Messiah. So we find him guilty of blasphemy. The problem was that was not a crime in Rome. So he said, he claims to be Lord. He claims to be greater than Caesar. He claims to have a kingdom. And so Jesus was found guilty of high treason. Pilate 
the governor didn't want to do this, look at uh, verse 20. So he came up with his mind, well, surely the people would rather have their supposed king released to them than a known murderer. Verse 20. So Pilate has said, choose. I will crucify one of these men, either Jesus or Barabbas. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas so that they could destroy Jesus. The governor didn't like this. So he said to them again, are you sure? Which of the two do you want me to release for you? He couldn't even believe it. And they said again, Barabbas! So Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus? Who you call the Messiah? They said, let Him be crucified. Pilate, still not ready to do this, said, why? What evil has He done? They shouted all the more, let Him be crucified! So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather there was a riot that was beginning to break out, he took water, he washed his hands before the crowd, and he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas. Then he had Jesus scourged half to death. And he said, crucify him. So the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. There they they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him. Think about the humiliation. He's been flogged. He's dripping in blood and sweat. Now he's standing naked before a battalion of Roman soldiers. They put a scarlet robe on him. Imagine his back all open and bloody. The fabric pressing in against the wound. They twisted together a crown of thorns and they pushed it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and they knelt before him and they mocked him, their creator. But he didn't know it. They said, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spit on him. They took the reed. They struck him on the head. And then they had him mocked. They stripped him of the robe. They put his own clothes back on him. They led him away to crucify him. They played with him the way a, a, a cat plays with a mouse. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene. Simon was his name. And they compelled him to carry Jesus' cross. When they came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. That was to deaden the pain. And Jesus, knowing why He was being crucified, so I need, to, I need to feel the full weight of this. I, I need to know the full depth of, of this torture that is about to befall me. When they crucified Him, they divided His garments among them by casting lots. When they sat down, they kept watch over him. Over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. 
two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, and they circled the cross, mocking and jeering and wagging their heads. And they said, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, why don't you just save yourself? They're not empathetic. They're making fun. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders, they mocked Him. These were the people that that were set apart in Israel to mediate uh, Israel's relationship with God. And here is God in human form hanging on the cross and they're mocking the God they proclaim to worship. And these chief priests and these elders, these scribes who, who are every day copying out the Old Testament Scriptures, they said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel. Well, then let him come down from the cross. Then we will believe. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For didn't he say, I'm the son of God? The robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. I mean, this would be bad enough if you're actually guilty of something. Now from the sixth hour... There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. It's from about 12 noon until 3 in the afternoon. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli! Eli! Lama sabachthani! My God! My God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only time in the Bible that we actually get verbatim Jesus' words. Everything else is, is, is written in the Gospels in Greek. And then for us, it's translated into English. So when we're reading the words of Jesus, we're reading them in English. Or if you know Greek, you're reading them in Greek. But Jesus, though He would have known Greek, He probably didn't speak Greek very often. He spoke Aramaic, probably on the street. And He spoke Hebrew in the synagogue. Here we see Him crying from the cross in Aramaic. Only time in the Gospels where we get verbatim what Jesus said. What does this say to you? It says to me that this is of primary importance. Of all the things that Jesus said, this is more than likely the most important thing that Jesus ever said. It was so important that the Gospel writers, when they wrote it down, they didn't translate it. They said, we need to just put down exactly the words phonetically that Jesus said, and then we'll translate them. So if you read the original Gospel of Matthew, you have the Aramaic, and then you say, that is, and then in Greek, it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the heart of the Gospel, that Jesus was forsaken by God.
Open your Bibles to Psalm 22. Jesus, the last thing that He says is the first verse of Psalm 22. What Jesus wants us to do then when we get to this place in the Gospel is to stop reading and to read all of Psalm 22 because what Jesus is doing in in citing the first part of this psalm is He's saying this entire psalm applies to this moment. So if you ever want to know how Jesus was feeling or what was happening on the cross, Psalm 22 gives words to this. And the amazing thing here is that this was written a thousand years before Jesus hung on the cross. And Jesus hanging on the cross says that was written for this moment. So we're going to read it. As we read this, these are the words of David. They're about a much lesser suffering. And yet... They find their final and ultimate fulfillment in the suffering of Jesus on the cross right before He dies. As we read it, hear these words in the mouth of Christ on the cross. My God! My God! Why have You forsaken me? Why are you so far? You're so far from saving me. You're so far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry. By day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. I know you are holy. I know that you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. I know that in you our fathers trusted. They trusted. And you delivered them. They cried to you and they were rescued. They trusted you. And they were not put to shame. But me? I'm a worm. I'm not even a man. I'm scorned by mankind. I'm despised by the people. All who see me, they mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. They say, He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him. Doesn't He delight in Him? You are the one who took me from the womb. You made me trust You at my mother's breasts. On You was I cast from My birth. And from My mother's womb, You have been My God. So don't be so far from Me. There is trouble near. I can't see anyone to help Me. 
Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan. They surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. My tongue sticks to my jaws. Think of the dehydration. His arms pulled out of their sockets as he hung there, lifting himself up. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands. They've pierced my feet. I can count all my bones, but they've pierced me. They've crucified me. They stare and they gloat over me. They even divide my garments among themselves. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But You, O Lord, Do not be far off. Oh, You, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. In the past, You have rescued me from the horns of wild oxen. We stop there. The rest of the psalm, verses 22-31, to They envision God answering David's prayer. Though David was in despair, God intervenes and delivers him. That doesn't happen for Jesus, the son of David. Jesus doesn't answer. I mean, God doesn't answer Jesus' prayer. He lets him die. Going back to Matthew 27. Picking up in verse 47. Remember that Jesus just said, Eli, Eli. Now, we're told that he yelled this in a loud voice, but he he is near death. This is near the ninth hour, three in the afternoon, just before he dies. So even though he is shouting in a loud voice, we can expect that his voice is not that clear. So the bystanders standing around, they hear him saying, Eli, Eli, which is my God, my God. But it's also the beginning of the name of Elijah, right? Elijah means the Lord is my God. And so the people around, they're trying to understand what Jesus is saying, but they don't quite make out what he is saying. They don't make the connection. And so they say, I think he's, he's calling on Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge. He filled it with sour wine. He put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Why? They, they wanted him to get the dryness out of his mouth so he could say it again. They wanted to hear what he had to say. But the others said, no, wait, wait, wait. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. They totally missed the point. 
Jesus cried out again. I would imagine He repeats Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? And then He yielded up His Spirit and He died. Jesus was not delivered. If we read Psalm 22, verses 22 to 31, we see this great deliverance. But Jesus, quoting Psalm 22, isn't delivered from death. God forsakes Jesus, the son of David, more than he had forsaken David himself. And look, look at the contrast between these two men. Uh, David was just a rampant sinner. Deep in sin his entire life. And yet God never fully forsook David. He even promises him in 2 Samuel 7, I will never forsake you the way I forsook Saul. I will never remove my Holy Spirit from you. I'm always with you. I will always be there with you. And then the son of David, who is fully God as well as fully man, as he hangs there in the deepest, darkest despair and calls out for deliverance, the father says no. And he dies. Now, of course, we could rush to the resurrection, couldn't we? Isn't that the impulse? Well, but, but, but he didn't let his Holy One see decay. And we can pull all of these scriptures to say that God didn't forsake Jesus. Ultimately, three days later, Jesus rose back to life. That's true. But, but let's just stay at the cross for a moment. At the cross, Jesus was forsaken unto death. And that's not the picture of Psalm 22. The psalmist, David, did not originally envision death before deliverance. My God. My God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt forsaken by God? Maybe you just seem so far away. It just seems I just can't break through to him. Maybe something's happened to you and God wasn't there to stop it. Maybe someone that you love died even though you prayed every day and every night. But God said no. Maybe you're struggling with physiological anxiety or depression disorder and you, you pray, God, I, I know that this is not your, your intention for me. Deliver me from this. And He doesn't. You wake up in the middle of the night in a panic attack. And your anxiety is overwhelming you. And you, you find it hard to get out of bed. And you find it hard to leave the house. Maybe it's a physical illness. Maybe it's a, a, something to do with your employment. Maybe it's a relational breakdown in your marriage. Or with your kids. Maybe you've been praying for your kids or your grandchildren for years that they would come to know who Jesus is. And, and they're just not wanting anything to do with Him. I mean, I have just scratched the surface of the potential ways that we can feel forsaken 
by God. In what ways have you felt? In what ways do you feel that God has forsaken you? The hard part about all of this is that if God were to forsake us, He would have every reason to forsake us because we have forsaken Him. So we can blame God for forsaking us. Now, stay with me. This is not where we're stopping. We could blame God if He were to forsake us because we've all forsaken Him. Even after you have put your faith in Him, haven't you forsaken the Lord? But Jesus... Jesus never forsook the Lord. He never turned His back on God. He was perfect. He was in perfect relationship with God. He he lived a perfect life. He always did what the Father wanted Him to do. And then He was forsaken. That's not right. No one has ever been forsaken by God like Jesus was forsaken by God. In that ugly, awful moment on the cross. No one. In the depth of your despair, you haven't even come close to feeling the despair that Christ experienced on the cross. Yet, rather than blaming God for rejecting Jesus, for forsaking Him on the cross, we need to rejoice that the Father forsook the Son on the cross. This is the, this is the groundswell of our worship. This is the fountainhead of the Gospel. Without this, we are not saved. Without this, we are forsaken by God and, and there's no turning back from that. Why did God forsake Jesus on the cross? He forsook His only begotten Son on the cross so that He would not have to forsake us. So let us rejoice. Now, first, I want to give you a couple of reasons that then we rejoice in this. First of all, when you are in that that place of deep despair and grief and mourning, when you feel like no one can understand how you feel, when you think that, well, God clearly doesn't understand because He's nowhere to be found. I pray to Him by day and I pray to Him by night and yet He doesn't answer me. He doesn't send His Spirit to comfort me. Uh, what, what we can hold on to in those moments is that Jesus knows how you feel. And then some. We have a God in Christ who knows what it means to be forsaken. And He knows it at a deeper level than you will ever, ever, ever be asked to walk in that road. You cannot be more forsaken than Christ was forsaken. It's impossible. So if you're in that place, at the darkness of that hour, Just begin to remember that Jesus was forsaken on the cross. Put the cross in your mind and then, if this is hard to do in the moment, but 
call on the Holy Spirit to help you to rejoice in your feeling of forsakenness because it has helped you to taste one drop of the cross. Rejoice that in those feelings of despair, you can draw close to Christ. Have you ever noticed that we draw closest to people that have walked the same walk that we have walked? Have you ever known someone who has suffered the way that you have suffering and all of a sudden you have a kindred spirit? And you love that person more than you love anyone else because you know that person in a way that no one else knows you or can know them. So in these moments when you feel forsaken, rejoice that you are sharing in something with Christ. Be encouraged and comforted that Jesus knows how you feel and that He will pray for you. When you are in that dark pit of despair, of depression, of anxiety, of guilt. Maybe you feel forsaken because of something you've done. You say, God could never love me. And the weight of that sin is pressing down on you so heavily and that's why you feel forsaken. And you feel there's no way out from underneath this guilt that has been put on you for it's crushing you. Just remember the weight of sin that was crushing Christ. And then take that sin and give it to Jesus to carry. When you're in that dark place of shame or fear, when you feel distant from God, when death itself closes in on you, maybe a loved one, or you yourself, cry out to Jesus. Because He understands. We've already hinted at this, but this is perhaps more important. Recognize that you're not forsaken. If you've put your faith in Christ, you're not forsaken, even though you feel forsaken. Jesus was forsaken. You feel forsaken. That's not the same thing. Jesus was forsaken. You feel forsaken. But if you put your faith in Jesus, then Psalm 22 will never, ever, ever be true for you. You will never be forsaken. Jesus endured Psalm 22 in order to gift to us Psalm 23. Because Jesus endured Psalm 22, Psalm 23 is always true for us. The Lord is always our shepherd. Always. The shepherd was crucified so that He would always be with us. And at the end of Matthew's Gospel, He says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you the way I was forsaken on the cross. The Lord is my shepherd, so I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. 
Does that mean the life is always going to be easy? This is not the prosperity gospel. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, in those moments when I feel forsaken, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. I'm not forsaken. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I know that you are preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You will anoint my head with oil so my cup will overflow. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not even death brings forsakenness for those of us who have put our faith in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from God's grace, His mercy, and His love. We will never be forsaken even when we feel forsaken. Comfort yourself with this truth. Even when you are in the valley of the shadow of death. Therefore, when we feel forsaken by God because of our despair, because of our depression, because of our anxiety, our guilt, our shame, our fear, our perceived distance from God, and even death itself, either of our loved ones or of our own lives, we must always remember the cross that we are not forsaken the way Christ was forsaken. When we die, we transition to a new and better way of living. We're immediately ushered into the presence of God Himself. Jesus was forsaken. We are not forsaken. Jesus was forsaken. We are not forsaken. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This is the gift of the cross to us. So why does God ask us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I don't know. I, I don't know in any given circumstance. And yet I know that for those who love Him, all things work together for good. I know that God has a reason. I know that it is purifying and sanctifying. I know that often in those times when we feel forsaken, it drives us to Him in a way that is not true when we do not feel forsaken. I know for my own self, a year ago at this time, I was in the depths of despair. And in that, the doctrines of the Gospel were pressed deeper into my soul than they ever had been before. So that at the end of it, though I had always known since I had been saved what the Gospel meant, the Gospel was pressed into the very fabric of my being in a way that it hadn't been before. And I understood grace in a new way. Not intellectually, but experientially. I understood grace in a new way and it has changed who I am. It has changed the way I minister and counsel and read the Bible. And so the valley of the shadow of death for me one year ago had a purpose. And the valley that you are walking through now or have walked through before 
also has a purpose. When you are there, remember that God is with you, that Christ understands, and most importantly, though you feel forsaken, you are not forsaken. And whatever you do, keep going. The worst thing that you could do is to stop. Keep going. Press into Christ. This week, let us prepare our hearts for Easter. And I would encourage you, just it doesn't take long, read Psalm 22 and 23 every day and, and allow something new to be uh, revealed to you by the Holy Spirit every day. Pray through those two psalms and prepare your heart for Easter. Think about the cross. Imagine Jesus reciting Psalm 22 from the cross and allow the Holy Spirit to prepare you. Pause to consider that Jesus experienced Psalm 22 that He might give Psalm 23 to us as a gift. We deserve Psalm 22, but God has given us Psalm 23. Christ deserved Psalm 23, but He endured Psalm 22. He did this for you. He did it for me. Let's pray. Lord, You do ask us to suffer. The Gospel does not promise an easy fix to all of life's difficulties and ailments. You have not promised us prosperity and health and fame and fortune and power and prestige. In fact, You have promised us the cross. But we know that we will never endure the cross the way Christ endured the cross for us. That we will never be forsaken when we put our faith in Christ, though He was forsaken for us. I pray that Your Spirit would prepare us this week for Good Friday and for Easter Sunday, that You would minister to each of us in a new way, that we would see the Gospel and the doctrines that are so familiar to us in a fresh light, and that something new, maybe not new intellectually, but something new experientially, something new about Your grace, Your Gospel, Your cross, Your resurrection from the dead, would be impressed upon us. Be our teacher. Be our guide. In Your name we pray. Amen.